Welcome to the Sooner Catholic Podcast. Today we're talking about and covering Jim Beckman's talk from last night. In particular, Trevor and I have really just been steeped in Chapter 5, which Jim uh, handed out last night. In particular, the first four pages, uh, as, far as, we've met, <laughs> as, as far as we've made it. We're just going to be super transparent with you. But Avid, avid scholars is what we are. <laughs> But we've also found a lot of a lot of really good things to talk about, even just in these four pages. And we are both planning to read the rest of the chapter and the rest of the book. So, Trevor, what do you think about that kind of transparency? I think it's good. And also in transparency, I read the first. I, I knew I was going to read the whole book, um, and Jim gave me a copy of the book, and so I read the first pages of the first chapter. So I feel at least a little better. So I've read only four pages <laughs> of chapter five, but I've read like ten pages of like chapter one. So that's got to count for something, right? Um, for something, but we, we don't know what that something is. So, okay, so so here we go. Um, we, we're just going through page by page here. Uh, the first page, something that stuck out to me is is when the author says that the presentation of the gospel needs just to be presented in a way that um, allows a person hearing to be converted from looking at the world from one way into a different way, right? And what do you think about that the notion, Trev? So this makes me think of um, St. Augustine's, you know, famous volumes of work uh, known as the City of God. So, right, like St. Augustine famously de- depicts these two cities. So he talks about how the City of God has one way of viewing the world, right? It has um, a different origin. It has a different um, uh, meaning to the human person. It has a different way in which we live in the world. Um, it has, like, different uh, things attributed to, like, the moral life in general and all these different things. And the city of man approaches with different first premises, different first mm-hmm. uh, places to reach. Um, again, so this is like this idea of these two kind of worldviews is not new. I think what constitutes the worldview of particularly the non-Christian one, obviously, is the one that is changing much throughout history. So the one that um, I think the author of this book and, and I, also I don't think Jim ever said the name of the book. The name of the book is From Christendom to Apostolic Mission, mm-hmm. Pastoral Strategies for an Apostolic Age by University of published by the University of Mary. Um, anyway, I think that the, the specific worldview, and we'll get into this, at the, that they're referencing in this book is going to be one that is more or less different than the worldview that maybe St. Augustine would have identified with the city of man. But I think that the city of God in the same way is largely the same, um, if not in some ways, maybe more substantiated in our, in our memory. So, yeah, that's really good. Just thinking about, um, I'm probably going to butcher this, but like the idea that if you were you probably heard this too, and we might just have to cut this part out because it's going to be so bad. But if you were to fly, you know, from like New York to California and Trevor's doing a flying motion next to me, um, <laughs> but you were you were off by like one degree, you would you would arrive like so many thousands of miles like further from your destination. And I think what's, what's really interesting is like when you have just like a slight difference or even, I guess, even a major difference in a lot of ways, but like of the, the foundation of, of, the, of the person, of the human person, of who we are, of what we're made for, and of who God is at a foundational level. Uh, by the time that you are 20, 25, whatever it is, it's just, it's like light years away from where you'd be if you, if you didn't, like if you had a different foundation. So I think part of part of today is talking about um, what is the foundation of, of what we believe of um, in, about creation, about who God is, about who we are, and, and how does that how does that compare to how the world, how the culture sees it? Um, and then part of that would be how how do we um, begin to 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 proclaim the kingdom of God and the city of God to people and living in the city of man that would register to them? And what would that look like? 
Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I, I really love too, in, in that quote that you just shared from this uh, first page of chapter chapter five, again, the beginning of our astute studies. Um, I think what's really cool is that he says that the the task needs to be directed at many within the church, right? So this, this task of like presenting the gospel in such a way that the minds of its hearers can be transformed and converted from one way of looking at the world to another. He says many within the church. And I think that's obviously, you know, you're in my experience and the experience of many others is like, um, this is not like some, like, you know, you need to go out and, and look for people like outside of your community. Mm-hmm. Like this is within the walls of St. Thomas More. This is within, you know, the walls of your household. Um, this is within your own, the walls of your heart, like changing the way that you mm-hmm. view the world is, this is not like a task for, you know, other people to engage in other countries in the world. Um, this is a task that desperately is needed, like in the hearts and minds of all of those in the church today, I think. Um, anyway, so with that, I think we could definitely transition into the next thing that you have highlighted. But yeah, no, I think that's so true, and that's so such something that Trevor and I were just talking about before we got started. It's just like that. Um, there's just such a difference in the way that that we live and approach life if we are seeing that the primary problem of life being outside of ourselves or within ourselves, in in understanding like what's what's within our control or not. And I think was it, I think it was Chesterton. Who like a, there was a, a journalist that that asked him like what do you think is is the biggest problem in the world today, and and he replies back in the letter he says dear sir I am, um, and I just think that there's something about <laughs> can you imagine writing like a like a long because in the day it wasn't note. like Twitter it wasn't right. an interview he sent a letter to Chesterton and Chesterton would like wrote back four words dear sir it is I or like yeah five words, yeah, yeah yeah and I just think that like that is like so powerful of like. Um, it's, it, it kind of, in my mind, makes a difference between, between um, you know, arriving at the age of, of ripe 75 and sitting at McDonald's with a few other buddies complaining about the state of the world um, or, or being out in the midst of family life and church life and seeing that, that God is calling you to something. Um, and I think that that kind of begins now at this age, like not pointing the finger, not seeing the problem lying in some mysterious, evasive culture society knowing that it is and the devil is at work clearly but he's also constantly vigilant of of each of our lives and trying to to lead us astray um personally and individually so that there's there's no one like if i if i'm constantly just absorbed in the in the government and in in politics and the state of the church and all these things but i neglect to see what's happening within my own household there's no one else that's going to pick up that slack right like that that, that's the particular vocation the lord's called me to and so i think just Trevor and I, we're, we're, we're inviting you and ourselves just to remain vigilant of our own life, of our own heart. Not that the rest of the world does not matter. Not that it's not good and important to engage in conversation with people and to try to convict people of, of something. But be first beginning with our own heart and mind that we constantly need to see room for conversion within our own heart. It's just so key. Um, yeah. So with that then, once step one has happened which is that that level of awareness self-awareness is where it always starts when one step one has happened with self-awareness if you've realized that there is there are gaps in your own life that the lord is that you should be inviting the lord to to come and fill and and it begins to overflow and you begin to to see those same problems arise in the world and the people around you then trevor how do you begin that conversation or begin to proclaim um who God is to the rest of the world, be that friends or family. What does that look like? Yeah, that's a tough question. I, I think 
one of the biggest things we have to do in what you're saying so you've taken this first step and you're you're you recognize there's a lack there's a lack in your life and so i think that's the great place to start from evangelization because if you start from a place of like well i have this you know i have x truth in a box that i'm holding and you aren't holding and i need to like you know give you a, a cut of my box mm. you almost approach people with this superiority and people feel it like people yeah. know it they, they they can feel it from you whereas if you approach people with a humility that says like man like uh there's a famous quote from i can't remember what protestant apologist said this but he was talking about defending the faith and talking about the pride that christians sometimes have in the fact that like mm. you know and, and and a good thing the fact that they have come to the truth of jesus christ but they can take it and twist it and like put it as something to kind of add to their laurels or something that is important to them um, that makes them better than other people. And, and the, the apologist mm-hmm. was just like, all the Christian is is the beggar who found the right place to find bread. Right. Um, I think I might even share this on yeah. the podcast before. But I think this is the place we have to start. What you're saying is like, I recognize a lack in my life. Mm-hmm. I have come to the Lord in, in, in recognition mm-hmm. of the fact that I'm made for him and that I need him. And that he destines me to like become united to him more fully. And then from that place, I look at the other and see in them someone just like me who is mm-hmm. lacking. And I also see in them Christ, uh, don't either, you know, maybe in some places, in some ways dormant in their right, soul. Right. Um, but I see Christ in there and it, like he reveals to me his love, both in like their person, but also in the pursuit of them. Like it, it almost like the more that you become mm-hmm. an evangelist, I think the more that you you know take on the call that is all of the baptized to share your faith, you start to see the more like you're in it to like love someone and just like learn how to love them, the depth the, the greater depth you understand the love with which Christ has loved us in our own mm-hmm. sinfulness and brokenness. Um, so I think that like after you've taken that first step of recognition, you you have to like have that humility to then step out and to begin to like, I don't know, yeah, start to like question their worldview in a way that is not abrasive but is like um yeah finding a way to like enter into the cracks in their foundation right because you you've already admitted and you recognize the gaps in your own Mm -hmm. and you want to help other people realize that they also have gaps in theirs yeah absolutely i think this really kind of ties into things we always talk about uh, in the church of like like the joy of the gospel like living Mm -hmm. with joy living with peace living with with fruits because if you're if you're recognizing this and you have that self-awareness in your own life, you're seeing those gaps, you're inviting the Lord deeper into those things, you're, you're living like the moral life of the church, you're living in, in good, authentic, genuine friendships that are building you up, all those kind of things. The natural fruit of those things should be joy and peace, and that itself should be attractive. Yeah. And, and in a lot of ways, I think the Lord uses those fruits to lead other people to see the gaps in their life, right? Yes. So, and, and, and I think that we don't, want the, we don't want it to just end there, but we want to really be equipped with a way to once someone comes to you or begins those conversations or relationships where they begin to see those fruits that you can pick up where your fruits leave off, right? And you, mm-hmm. and you know how to bridge the gap and say, this is the truth of why I live this way or this is the truth of, of why, um, of, what have, uh, of what has happened in my life. So I think that, that's kind of what, what we're trying to do is, yes, live differently. And then that second step, which is so difficult, is to proclaim. Like, how do you put it into words in a way yes. that it's palatable for someone? Yes. And, and so this is where this book is hitting in because it's uh, the author says here, I think this is actually really powerful. Um, so this, I'm honestly just going to read this whole paragraph because it's just fire. Um, he talks about, so he's talking about a Christendom age and what he means by a Christendom age is not necessarily medieval times whenever like the church had political power. Um, but he's talking about specifically 
the idea that uh, a world that was dominated by the Christian worldview in which it was like everyone assumed the values and the spiritual under, like realities of the faith. It's like even if they weren't uh, devout, people like generally you could assume that most of the average person in that time of Christendom would have had uh, a, a fundamentally Christian way of viewing the world, even if they weren't devout in it. So he says, in the Christian age, deeper conversion to Christ usually means taking more seriously the moral teaching of the church, right? So like, basically like using and emphasizing the moral teachings, right? And so he says, they presume a lot of these things already, and there's more there than I'm skipping. But he says, this is not the case. Um, he says, this is natural enough, but it presents problems when the Christendom imaginative can- canopy is no longer in place. It can give rise to the view, often unconsciously assumed, that to be a Christian means to live a life of moral probity and nothing more. And so, and, and basically what he's saying is like, the problem with this is that we know his whole take in the book is like, we don't live in a Christian age. And so we're, we're, he gets more straight up later on. He says, it's a strategic mistake to preach solely the moral vision of Christianity before the mind and overall vision have at least begun to be transformed. Yeah. So he's saying, yeah, well, before I even say more about that. Yeah. What do you think about just those mm. quotes, Alex? I don't know. So it's so good. And I think... What, what's so interesting is like when when we begin either because of a lack of formation or a lack of prayer um, or a lack of spiritual renewal, like we begin to internalize um, our own faith as a set of rules, right? As a set of moral rules to live by of do this and don't do this. And so then some of our first encounters with other people become, you know, like why do Catholics have to do this? Or why do Catholics not get to do this? Or, and it kind of, the conversation turns to, one based just on morality and it begins like that's how we live the faith and that's how we share the faith and i think here he's just saying in in a different age which like the age we're living in now which not everyone is seeing the world obviously through a, a truly catholic perspective starting the conversation there is is unfruitful and just lacks overall strategy for for what's going to be effective and he says it's putting the cart before the horse is what he says in the next sentence and so i think for us it's such a good reminder of like if if you find yourself just living in a in a do and a don't like relationship with the Catholic Church and with and with God, um, it's kind of a red flag, right? That that you're even reducing it down. To, you know, you might be in a place or season of life where you're struggling to mm-hmm. to see it in its fullness. You might be reducing it just to to rules restrictions, yeah. and and that's already the perception of of people. So that's kind of the the first thing that came up. Yeah, and I, I analogy that just came to mind to kind of explain this. So imagine like your whole life, the only sport you've ever seen played was volleyball. Right, so like you know, like setting certain bump set spike or what is it set? Did I say that right? Set bump, bump set bump. Okay, you <laughs> imagine I did not play volleyball. I played basketball. So imagine the sport that you played your whole life was volleyball, right? And so then someone proposes to you the rules of basketball, but in your mind you're assuming that it's taking place on a volleyball court with a volleyball with a volleyball net on sand. Like, imagine like that. Like you're taking someone proposes to you the rules of basketball and they're just like, well, these are the rules. And like, this is how to live. I think this is what suggesting the the rules of Christian morality is to those. Cause that, and that's the whole point the author's trying to make is like, if, if people are not coming from a Christian worldview, then the Christian moral scheme makes no sense. Right? Like if you think that the body is purely material, then the things that are, that are suggested, you know, in the Catholic faith, the the liturgy and these sorts of things have no value. If you're, if, if you are starting from this place, but if you explain to them, this is basketball, and you capture their mind with Michael Jordan highlights, and they see, you know, they, they get an idea of like, what, okay, this is what basketball looks like. And then you explain to them what a Euro step is. They, like, they learn like what a really cool layup looks like. They're like, dang, that is really 
beautiful to see that's poetry in motion you know like uh, I'm, I'm obviously a basketball nerd but if you like if you can see the game of basketball the rules come into context not as like something that limits you but something that frees you when you're within it to, right. to be masterful like when you look at Michael Jordan, the reason you say he's such a great basketball player is because he knows and has studied and played and loves the sport of basketball, like breathes basketball so much that within the rules, he can do masterful things. It becomes a guideline for the ebbs and flows of his game. And I think there is something very similar to the way that we have to propose the Christian faith to people. They have to see it like you and I have to, in our hearts, continue to grow in our ability to see the laws and commandments of God as being those things that help us to thrive and live within this vision. Mm-hmm. But if they don't have the vision first, right. then man, how, how would they ever see those things as being helpful? Is that a whack analogy? Yeah. No, no, no. It's like, it's like that vision of greatness. Like what does greatness in the human person look like? And so if I'm just thinking of like the rules, regulations of basketball help realize the, the, the greatness of Michael Jordan, right? Like, so if, if, if someone came up and they weren't dribbling and they dunked on the, on, you know, they ran with the ball in their hand the whole time. And it was a three-foot goal. It would be like, that's not glorious, right? Yeah. But, but it's because of those things in place in basketball that you get to see, like, his maximum potential um, as a basketball player. So then as we begin to see, like, okay, what are the what are the, the rules or the moral life within a human person that would help them be, achieve the maximum greatness as a human person? That's, like, what we believe at the, of the Catholic Church, that God has put in place things that will help us achieve maximum greatness as a human person. Um, and I love that. I love that analogy. And I think... Dude, there's something too. maybe this is a tangent, but I think there's something in here that like um, that that like the the wisdom of heaven, like heavenly wisdom and knowledge, like um, is so often built on earthly things like or that earthly things shadow or parallel them. Right. Like we know that we know that grace builds on nature. What does that mean? Maybe we'll get into another time. But <laughs> but one of my favorite things, that, <laughs> one of my favorite things that that um that Jesus says is to Nicodemus. I was looking at this right before we started and, and he's talking to Nicodemus and he's telling him about, um, about being born again, right? About, about baptism, about entering the kingdom of heaven, basically, basically about the nature of his soul, right? He's explaining like there's more than just your body. Mm -hmm. Um, and if your soul is born again and it's born as a son, then you can enter into heaven. And, and at one point he says one of my favorite lines of evangelization. He says, Nicodemus, if I tell you about earthly things and you do not believe, then how can I begin to tell you about heavenly things, right? Mm-hmm. So Jesus himself, he he says like he starts with what is earthly to explain what is heavenly, um, and I think that might be a big gap in how we try to evangelize. Is like we don't know how to start with the earthly leading to the heavenly. Mm-hmm. And I was thinking about this in terms of my own my own faith, and so like the two biggest covenants I have in my life is is marriage and my relationship with God, and 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 I struggle in each of those in different ways, and I thrive in each of those in in, in different ways. Um, but two of the words that came up as we approach our last minute are claim and proclaim so like before you can proclaim something you need to claim it as your own right and and i think that um if i'm in a place where i am claiming my marriage as central to who i am and as as um as a major um part of my identity and how i live my life then then i i need to claim that as my own right um not because it's not because it's important to someone else because it is central to who i am and from there, I proclaim its goodness and the importance and the role of it in my life and how good my spouse is. Yeah. I think that often one of the reasons and stumbling blocks of why we can't or why we don't know how to proclaim the faith is that we haven't claimed it to the extent that we need to, right? Mm-hmm. And, and I, dude, I just, we'll get into this another time, but we can share our, our human moments. But like the other day, I was getting a haircut and, and $16 at Great Clips. 
and um, <laughs> and the lady was asking me what I what I do for work, and I was like, campus ministry. You know, I love working with college students. It's so great. Da, da, da. And not once did I mention God. And it was like it's been a week, and I'm just think, thinking about it of like, why did I not proclaim like what I actually do and who I actually do it for and what convicts me? And I just feel like I lacked courage, and but even more so, I lacked the um, like the depth of living from identity in God at, at that moment. And I was not living like in, in the Lord in that moment. So I had not claimed the faith as so central to my identity. Mm-hmm. If she had it, like at a, at a moment's notice, I would have said, yeah, I'm like super happily married. Like, you know, you got to meet my spouse and she's awesome. Like, because I claim it so much and it's just such an integral part of who I am. But because like the, the faith, like I, I don't, I'm not always integrated and I don't bring that as a core part of who I am at all moments to the extent I do with my marriage. It suffers in those moments that I don't proclaim it like I should, like I need to, and like I want to. Mm-hmm. Um, so this kind of gets onto a different topic. I know we're wrapping up time, but do you have any just final thoughts with any of those things? Yeah, I think uh, you should definitely read this book. Again, the book is called From Christendom to Apostolic Mission. It's published by the University of Mary. I am making a promise that maybe I can't keep, but if you <laughs> approach me, maybe Alex. Uh, I can't speak for Alex, but if you approach me about this book, I'll buy you a copy of the book. Um, if you want to read it, um, cause I'm, I'm, I, I've only read like 20 pages so far mm-hmm. and I'm already that convinced that it's like, it's needed for us to, to, to understand the gap in all of our minds. And in my mind, all the different gaps I have between the Christian worldview and the worldview that I've just inherited from my birth in this culture. So definitely a big believer in that. As far as the claim and proclaim, I really think that's a, a beautiful way of putting it like your marriage versus your faith and like seeing like the ways that, yeah, of course I would speak about you know, Hillary for you, Mackenzie for me, like that way. But I speak about my faith that way, especially outside of like when I'm on, on as a missionary, you know, or when you're on as campus minister, I think even more, we should desire to grow in our understanding of the faith because we should like both our understanding intellectually and like, uh, on a level of like connection with God and almost emotionally, because I think that like the more that we grow in those areas, it helps us to claim the faith. So when I learn apologetics or when I go into the chapel to pray, like, it's not like I'm learning, I'm praying so that I can, I'm not praying as a tool because I need to do it to do something for someone else. Right. I'm not learning uh, things about the Catholic faith so that I, I can explain it to someone. I have to realize that the un, the most unconverted heart that I encounter on a daily basis yeah. is my own. Totally. And so the claiming is like claiming and each moment and the chapel, each moment the Lord gives me in my daily life, encountering someone else, um, each moment the Lord gives me. Um, moments when I maybe spend them, you know, doing other things I, that I could be like reading or growing in my faith. I want to claim Christ in those moments so that when I proclaim, it isn't something that I like studied. It isn't like right. a, a concept or a theory, but it's a lived reality that like Jesus Christ, the Lord of the universe is living inside of me. And that relationship is something that I know all were destined to receive through the promise of Abraham fulfilled in Jesus. And I want like each and every person to experience that. So yeah, I think, it has to start with the claim. It has to start with like it becoming identity before it becomes like mm. uh, something we we give to someone else. Yeah. So mm. I don't know about you. This has been one of my favorites. So um, I don't know about you. I'm oh, sorry. <laughs> da, 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 da. Um, I don't think that was the second half of the melody. But uh, <laughs> hey, everyone, thanks for thanks for listening. I hope this is this is edifying um, for you for your walk with Christ and and. Uh, honestly the good news for me is like if no one else listens to to this 
I go back and listen to it. It's good for me. <laughs> <laughs> so we we at least get one listener each week. But uh, yeah, God bless you, students at OU in St. Thomas More, and uh, we look forward to to coming weeks with you. Thanks so much for listening. We'll see you soon. Now, some bloopers from this episode. Welcome to DDDD. Are you ready? 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 How does this sound? Is this picking it up pretty well? Okay, yeah.